Good evening, church. Good evening, family church. Waterlooville. So good to see you all. See you all. I see you there. Um, what a great day it's been today. Um, it's just good to experience, to know and experience the goodness of God, isn't it? Um, I'm not going to spend too much time waffling at this point, like I normally do. Um, but I do want to say that tonight we're starting our final week on the fruit of the Spirit. This is We've been going for nine weeks. This is our ninth week. We started nine weeks ago. Well done to all of you who have persevered and have been able to, you know, to persevere through week after week. This has been such an adventure for Chris and I as well. We have learned so much during this time and been put to the test a lot. But um, but it's all good. It's all fruitful. Um, so I just want to actually go to um, Galatians 6. I wasn't going to do that. But I'm going to look at just briefly at the fruit of the Spirit and just see how we started nine weeks ago with love. And tonight we're going to end with self-control. So it's like these two bookends. We've got love on the one end and self-control on the other end. And everywhere in between, we've got all these other fruits, the, all these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. We've got joy. We've got peace. We've got patience. We've got uh, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, um, long-suffering. I took it out of, I took it I took it out of sequence, so I got completely confused. But you know what I'm saying, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit, week number nine tonight is going to be self-control. So with that in mind, get your Bible ready. Write down these scriptures. Get your Bible ready. Open it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. I want to hear those pages too. Come on. Turn your page. 1 Corinthians 9. Are you there yet? Give me a thumbs up. Yes, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. This is the Apostle Paul say, writing this. And he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. The New Living says, run to win. You want that prize. Run to win. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. Those athletes, they run to get a perishable crown. But we, us, children of God, for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. In other words, I'm not just shadow boxing, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And the New Living there actually says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. What a powerful scripture. What an amazing scripture. Now I just want to break it down a little bit. In verse 25 it says, Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. And that word temperate means 
self-controlled. It's like a top athlete who trains for the Olympic Games. And, um, who, and part of that training, part of that self-control is that they, are, they have to uh, limit um, eating foods that are not healthy. They have to make sure that they limit, their, there's no unwholesome food allowed, no unwholesome drink. And even top athletes even abstain from sexual intercourse. Professional athletes have to be self-controlled in all things. There's no lackadaisical attitude with a professional attitude. And then Paul goes on and he says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. I discipline my body. To discipline means to, to tease or to annoy into compliance. I like that description, to, to, to annoy into compliance, to keep under. It's a training or development by exercise and instruction which produces self-control. Discipline produces self-control. Just listen to that same scripture in the New Living Translation. He says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs? but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their, in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. My interpretation of that is I'm not just doing it for the sake of it. Everything I do has purpose. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Run to win. Run to win. Christian, run to win. And how do we do that? He spoke about it there, through discipline. Just as an example of this, you know what? If you were running the London Marathon, well, let's use me as an example. I don't run, okay? I'm not a runner. But just pretend this is me, okay? But I don't just rock up in London on the day of the London Marathon and run 26 miles without putting in any training. In fact, this afternoon I googled. My friend Google helps me quite a bit. But I googled the London Marathon and I discovered that the London Marathon organisers produce a 16-week training plan for three different categories of runners. You get the beginners, you get the improvers, and then you get the advanced. But each group has 16 weeks of training before they run that 26 miles. That's discipline. And I just want to take it up another level. In South Africa, and I'm sure we have them in the UK too, but we have a few ultra marathons and there's that doozy of a marathon, not just the doozy marathon, which is a marathon, by the way, but the, the um, Comrades Marathon, which is run every year between Peter Maritzburg and Durban. It's 90 kilometers or 55 miles. And training for this event starts on the 1st of January every year. And the race is run uh, 
mid-June. So you've got five and a half months to train for the Comrades Marathon. And um, the only the thing is that your training starts on the 1st of January. So for these guys that are running in the Comrades, there's no New Year's Eve parties. They go to bed early. And 1st of January, they're the ones that you see running out on New Year's Day. They're starting their training. They take it pretty seriously. And in order to start training on the 1st of January, you don't just start there. In fact, for doing an ultra marathon, you actually have to be fit and injury free. So if you've got suffering from any injuries, don't even, don't even bother because you're not going to make the Comrades Marathon. And then your training will depend on your target hours. So the, 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 the ultra marathon, it's 90 kilometers. So some people aim for sub 12 hours. And if you're going to train for a sub 12 hour session of the Comrades Marathon, that's going to require that you do 45 kilometers running per week every day for those first five, for those five and a half months. If you want to go for gold and if you want to go sub six hours, your training will require 145 kilometers a week or a total of three and a half thousand kilometers for that 90 kilometer race. And I actually I know I'm crazy, but I actually got my calculator. From 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 to 27, Paul says, Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Five times. He was beaten with lashes 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. I don't know what a rod is, but that sounds awful. He says, once I was stoned. I don't believe that was in a recreational way. Three times I was shipwrecked. How many people have been shipwrecked this week? None. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. Yeah, that's painful. That is painful. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. That's what the Apostle Paul went through. And he says, though, let's run to win. He's, the Apostle Paul, his last letter that he wrote was 2 Timothy. And in it, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul ran his race. But we have our own race to run as well. Your race is your race. My race is my race. But the important thing, thing to remember is it's not God's race. He doesn't run it for us. We look at what Paul says. How did he run his race? He said, I run thus, not with uncertainty. He ran his race on purpose. He was intentional. He was deliberate.
in running his race. And that's what this Christian life is about. It's about running our race intentionally, deliberately, on purpose. And he says, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. It's not shadow boxing. This, this is real life. This is not a dress rehearsal. It's not a practice round. And he says, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Discipline. It's training that produces self-control. That's what discipline is. It's training is what produces self-control. And then we read about this in 2 Peter 1 verses 5 and 6. It says, add to that self-control perseverance. Add to self-control perseverance. You know what those athletes in the London Marathon or the Comrades Marathon, they have to live disciplined lives in order to reach their goal. That prize, that medal, to get that little piece of metal, which isn't real gold, I don't think. But he says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So self-control is not just ruling your life through self-effort by gritting your teeth. It's not about being strong-willed, but rather the opposite. It's about being Holy Spirit dependent. We've got to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at this word self-control. And here comes our Greek lesson. Okay, I know you all Greek scholars. And we're going to learn this word and we're going to repeat it during the week and we're going to practice it. And when we come back together again, we're all going to know it. But the Greek word is inkrateia. And it's made up of two uh, two syllables and uh, the first one in is n n which means in or within and then krateia from the greek word kratos and that's where we get the the word democracy democracy and that word means strength or power so inkrateia is a power within it means to be controlled by god's power a divine self-control. It's a divine self-control. It's our spirit yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit. Christian self-control results from the Holy Spirit's indwelling. Self-control comes from within us. God has self-control. And his divine nature is in you. Therefore, you have self-control. The thing is, whether we allow it to manifest, whether we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But God has self-control. And that's quite a powerful statement. And I want to just quantify that. How do I know that God has self-control? Well, if you just consider how many times the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. How many times? The Bible says that they tempted and tested God in the wilderness. They provoked him to withdraw restraint. But you know what? He never lashed out. He didn't snuff them out. 
It's just proof of God's self-control. So self-control is not an external law or a list of do's and don'ts. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. No, that's not what self-control is. That would be religion. Religion says, it just says, no, you can't do that. No. And if you fail, there's judgment and condemnation. That's what religion does. Religion, it's a dead end. It's a dead letter. It doesn't allow you to learn or to improve. So religion brings limitation. But truth sets you free. So the, the, so the word discipline is the same word that, that we get disciple from. And we're disciples of Jesus Christ. And that means that we are a learner. We're a follower. We're disciples. We learn from him. We become more like him. The Christian life is a learned process. It's not an instant transformation. Our salvation is instant. Salvation is instant. We are translated from the, king, from the, from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of the Son of his love. That is instant. Our salvation is instant. But the working out, our sanctification, is a process. And the transformation takes time. And we are called to conform to, to the image of Jesus Christ. And the way, that we, the way that we are conformed, the way that we are changed, is from the inside out. And that's where discipline comes in. Discipline leads to life. There's an end goal to discipline. Listen to the scripture from 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, from the New American Standard Bible. Listen to this beautiful scripture. It says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline has purpose. It brings life. It says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily training is just slightly beneficial, but godliness is beneficial for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So we need to discipline ourselves. This is what undergirds self-control. And as Christians, we actually do have spiritual disciplines. So don't let that D word put you off, okay? Because it sounds so highfalutin, but really it's not. Spiritual disciplines include things like prayer, fasting, meditating on the word, reading the word, worship, praise, um, renewing your mind. In Romans 12, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is your spiritual worship. This is what, this is what creates us the uh, discipline in our lives. So discipline, we're followers, we're learners. In Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, naturally minded, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
So what are we setting our minds on? What are we setting our hearts on? What's the prize that we're after? Are we after that gold medal that just rust will destroy? Or that eternal prize that lasts forever? I don't know about you. I want to be like Paul, that at the end of my days, I want to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want those to be my last words on this earth. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to your natural tendencies, you will die. Spiritually, you will die. You can cut yourself off from the life of God. But if, he goes on, he says, if by the Spirit, capital S, by the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. We don't put off our fleshly carnal desires by self-will. It's not about being strong-willed, but it's about being Holy Spirit dependent. Put to death by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Just to clarify as well, temptation is not sin. Okay, just because you get tempted, maybe it's a biscuit, maybe it's a chocolate cake, maybe it's a beer, I don't know, whatever your thing is. But that temptation in itself is not a sin. Um, we don't overcome temptation by being strong-willed. Remember, Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we put to de death the deeds of the body. And it reminds me of a time when I gave up smoking. I started smoking at the age of 13. And by the time I got saved, I was smoking 40 cigarettes a day. I'd been smoking for about 20 years by then. And I got saved. And within being saved about five months, I realized... I didn't want to carry on smoking. I just had this desire inside of me. God changed my desires. I just didn't want to smoke anymore. I felt it was wrong. And um, I was only five, five months old in the Lord. And I knew two things. Number one, I could speak in tongues. I had a heavenly language. I'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I could speak in tongues and I could quote one scripture. And that one scripture was James chapter 4. And it says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And that became my mantra. That's how I stopped smoking. I didn't have patches. They hadn't yet been invented. I went through a bit of cold turkey. But I won. By the power of the Spirit, I put to death the deeds of my body. The power of the Holy Spirit overcame that temptation. It overcame that desire to smoke. It, I built myself up in my most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. And I lived by that word, James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. I didn't stop smoking by being self-willed or strong-willed. I gave up smoking by yielding to the, to the Holy Spirit. His power was at work in me, that divine self-control. Listen to what Proverbs 16, 
32 says, in the New Living, says, better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Divine self-control is powerful. It has power. We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit here. Listen to what um, 2 Timothy 3 says. I'm going to give you two minutes to get to one minute to get to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Are we doing okay? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a bit of a, a downer scripture, okay? But I can promise you things are going to get better. But we need to have the full counsel of God here. And in 2 Timothy 3, this is Paul writing to the pastor, to Timothy. And he says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And I think we're in those last days. It says, for men will be lovers of themselves. Listen to this, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. Then he goes on, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Without self-control, we can have a form of godliness, but no power. To have that divine self-control is powerful. But in today's society, we, we see this in today's world, this description that Paul gives to Timothy here. We see it in today's world, so rife. And we hear these words so often. People say, I want what she's got. I, I don't want to do what she did to get to where she is, but I just want what she has. People want the, they want the perks without the works. That's the way people are nowadays. You know what, and just as, as an example, and please hear my heart, I don't really like talking too much about myself, but... I just felt to, to give you an example of something like this. You know what, when Chris and I were asked to lead Family Church Waterlooville, we were serving teas and coffees in Javalicious in Family Church Haven't. We were serving teas and coffees there um, in Javalicious. And I tell you what, there were some people that were really offended about that because to them, they thought, but how can you go from serving in Javalicious to pastoring a church? But the thing is, they hadn't seen what we've been what we've been doing for the last 25 years. We had been serving Jesus. We had been we had been laying down our lives. We had been building the kingdom. Whether it was literally cleaning the toilets in the church whether it was literally cleaning toilets, whether it was serving tea and coffee, whether it was hosting, whether it was leading a prayer group, leading a connect group, teaching new life classes, doing evangelism courses, going to old age homes, doing outreaches, whatever our hands found to do, we did it. And 
the pastors at Family Church didn't know our whole history when they asked us to leave the church. But God knew. God had seen all that we'd done over the 25, 26 years. And so it might seem like an overnight success, but it, it was a long night. Okay, so we need to be deliberate and be intentional and practice discipline, have discipline in our lives. One of the most noticeable characteristics of the flesh is that it wants to be indulged. It does what it wants, when it wants, how it wants, as often as it wants, and nobody dares tell the flesh what to do. It's like self-indulgence. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And a great example of this is in Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews um, speaks about Esau. And, um, and in it, he, he, he likens Esau who's the brother of um, Jacob, he likens him to, to a fornicator. In fact, in Hebrews 12, verse 16, it says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. A fornicator. But nowhere in the Bible um, does it say that, that, that Esau had a problem with, with, with fornication. But I don't actually believe that this he's re referring to sexual fornication here. What he's talking about here is that Esau wanted instant gratification. He was hungry and he was willing and he did. He sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. That's what he did because he was hungry and his flesh wanted feeding. So, you know, he, he'd be like one of these modern day guys that has a placard, you know, that, you know, what do we want? A bowl of stew. And when do we want it? Now. You know, he would have been one of those guys ranting that in the street. But, he, but that bowl of stew was of more importance to him than being the patriarch of that family. He wanted instant gratification. No self-control. No discipline. Just Feed my flesh. Flesh wants something now. And it'll throw a hissy fit until it gets what it wants. The flesh is not willing to wait. But if we feed the flesh, we will reap. <laughs> we will reap later. You'll reap what you sow. You know, eat that chocolate cake. Have another biscuit. You will reap. Maybe your genes will continue to fit you this week and maybe when you have another chocolate cake or another biscuit, they will fit you the following week. But eventually, if you keep on sowing to your flesh, your genes, somebody's going to come up with an expression, honey, I shrunk the genes. This washing machine has shrunk my genes. We can't have everything we want. You know what? We're no longer babies. We're no longer babies. We can't just open up our mouths and scream every time I want my dummy I want a dummy it's time for us to grow up I love the fact that the self-control is right at the very end you know what because I don't know if anybody would have would have come back otherwise but it's time to put away our dummies in the love chapter 1 Corinthians 13 the apostle Paul I love Paul he still said he said when I was a child I spoke as a child I understood as a child I thought as a child but when I became a man, I put away childish things. 
and it's time for us to put away childish things. It's time to grow up. It's time to put away our toys and our dummies. And it's time to grow up. 2 Peter 1 verses 5 to 7 is a beautiful scripture. And in it he says, giving all diligence. In other words, work in partnership with God. Cooperate with him. Yield with the Holy Spirit. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. To virtue, add knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. Add to your virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, perseverance. We're running this race. It's a marathon. Add to self-control, perseverance. So it's time to throw away our dummy and add to our faith. Start adding knowledge to self-control, self-control to perseverance. And an example of this is, you know what, when I'm trying to prepare a message, what does it mean to add to your knowledge, self-control? When I'm preparing a message, the way that I, I kind of do it is I just have a brain dump or a heart dump. I don't know quite how you want to describe it, but I write down everything if you know on a topic and I'll write down as much as I know and um, I'll type it up and it's all gobbledygook. It's just all over the place. And so that is, my, that is my knowledge. But then what I need to do is I need to, you know, if when I start reading it, it makes no sense whatsoever. What the, the, the notes that I've made will make no sense whatsoever. They're just a bunch of random thoughts. But I need to add discipline to that knowledge. I need to add structure. I need to control the format of my message in order to make my message work. And so it is with self-control. We need structure and discipline to stay on the path. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. That's powerful. You know what, in biblical times, the walls of the city were the most important aspect of defense from intruders. And if there was a breach in the walls, then um, the enemy could get in and strike. In fact, you just reminds, reminds us of Joshua, when Joshua went walking around um, the walls of Jericho and they, remember, they marched around the walls, and as they marched around the walls in the seventh time, the walls came down, and victory over that city was easy. And the same for us. Without self-control, we'd be overrun by all kinds of things and could be easily taken out by the enemy. Our defenses would be down. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 5, 8 in the Amplified. It says, be sober. Be well-balanced and self-disciplined. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know what? God is our Father. And he, he wants, if we don't discipline ourselves, God will discipline us. He loves us, but he wants what's best for us. And at times, he disciplines us. 
And in fact, in, I'm not going to read it now because of time's sake, but I, I would encourage you to go and read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. It talks about how the Father disciplines those whom he loves. And he, they use it in the New King James, they use the word chasten. And that word chasten is repeated seven times in seven verses. And we know that repetition means significance. God is getting something across in these scriptures, in these verses, just seven verses, seven times. And when, when, when that word chasten is used, it's talking about um, correcting mistakes. We make mistakes and God comes along and corrects us, but we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting. We need to be disciples, learners, followers of Jesus and called to bear much fruit. Remember, self-control is about divine self-control. You have everything you have need of on the inside of you. You have the divine nature of God on the inside of you. But we need to live from the inside out. Become God inside conscious. That's a brilliant discipline. Become God inside conscious. Become conscious of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence in your life. Just sit quietly. It's a discipline. But it will change you. It will change you. Listen to what 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Some versions say self-discipline, some say self-control, some say sound mind. But they're interchangeable. Discipline is the foundation for self-control. Let's yield to the Holy Spirit. When you get that prompting from the Holy Spirit, Obey, respond to him, yield to him. Let's run our race. Let's be like the Apostle Paul. Let's run to win. Let's run our race on purpose. This isn't a practice run. This is the real deal. It's a marathon. But let's run to win. And let's, at the end of the day, let's be like the Apostle Paul. And all of us be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. I'm going to end it there. I've just gone a little bit over time. But I really pray that this series on the fruit of the Spirit has been a blessing to you. I know Chris and I have learned so much about stuff. We've seen things with new eyes. And um, if you've missed any of the any of this any of the series, they're all available on YouTube. By all means, go back, listen to them, and and you'll be blessed. But God bless you all, and we'll see you again in two weeks' time.